0: city. Demons lurk under the ashes. Giorgio De Maria, 20 Days of Turin. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie.
1: And I'm Devin. And today we're adding some international flavor, looking at some horror in translation on this episode of Books in the Freezer.
0: Spicy, spicy. Spicy. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco. Or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to Audibletrial.com slash Books in the Freezer. Happy listening. sprinkle some cilantro on that no i'm just kidding uh okay are you one of those people that think cilantro tastes like soap (laughs) what no oh good well it's like a a thing like some people's taste buds like don't like cilantro and it doesn't taste good to them
1: i don't know if i've had cilantro what (laughs) i'm pretty i don't know if i've had it wow
0: i mean you're like way up north so i guess that exactly
1: it's only snow cones and slushies up here
0: I feel like if my childhood had a smell, it's the smell of chopped cilantro.
1: So, um, so so books. Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Cilantro Cast. Uh, anyway, today we're talking about books in translation. So this is an episode that has actually been requested a bit.
1: Yes, uh, quite frequently, actually.
0: We definitely recommend translated books on a lot of episodes. We haven't done an episode yet that is solely books translated from other languages.
1: It's very difficult to look at a genre of horror and looking at a variety anyway and not getting some translated works in there because it's what I I talk about almost every episode about the, the versatility of horror. Horror is painted in... Horror is painted by the the culture in which it derives from. Um, a big component of why I think horror works um, as, as a genre, as a form of entertainment, is that either the fear of the unknown or just the the uncomfortably familiar. So when you get works like coming out of Japan or coming out of, of Germany, of, of France, of all these different cultures that are similar to us in the terms of they're still kind of Especially like European stuff, you get a lot of Western kind of ideals and Western time societies, but it's different enough for, say, North American readers to get that kind of uncanny valley feeling. So it, it adds an extra flavor on top of it. So it's, and then you find like the same ideas can be presented in such different ways because once again, it, it's a product of, of where they come from.
0: I think it's also interesting to see what kind of things are universal like what is universally scary or feared that you don't need a lot of cultural context for?
1: Yes. Fear fear in and of itself. Yeah. Is gonna be fairly universal. Um as I said again, fear of the unknown, um stuff like claustrophobia, stuff like um creepy children. Gen- creepy children. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are aspects of the horror genre that you don't use necessarily language or words, so they, they translate by themselves.
0: Uh, there was a LitHub article that I, I'll link in the show notes, but it was talking about how few books are translated into English every year in comparison with other countries. And she had a quote that I really liked where she said, ideas are borderless, which I really loved. But with such a few number of books being translated, I've found, and let me know if you've had this experience too, that I they tend to be more on the literary side than anything and when they do fall into horror I don't want to say they're a little more like highbrow, but they definitely tend to be, I think, more on the experimental side.
1: I I definitely would agree with that statement. Um, I do think that it does require a fair bit of critical acclaim for like, especially major publishers to feel it's work that would sell, that would be interested to come across um, and and translate into English. Um, Although I will also add that I think that translated works inherently are going to feel more more highbrow more literary just based on the, the again the, the cultural difference between us reading it and mm-hmm. the country of origin so like something that we would read and be like, oh wow, that's that's a really fascinating kind of thing going on in that community or with those people and their interactions or their routines or day-to-day stuff like this. It's really interesting and like to a Western reader, kind of ignorant to the culture in question, that would come off as very experimental, very different than than the norm. But in reality, it's probably just a normal day-to-day thing that happens upon. You know within that country within within that people and it's not as as different to them
0: i feel like a lot of the books that i've read in translation i read them and i feel so dumb
1: i will get to
0: th- <laughs> yeah well like one of one of the books you read especially afterwards i was like i think i'm just not yeah. smart enough for this book And even with another one of the books I've read, um, I looked on the back and it was talking about how this book is a big metaphor for fascism and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just am not getting that. I don't have that context going into this. So I think I'm just getting the shallow story in this.
1: Oh, no. Yes. Like I said, I I will get to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll we'll have this conversation again later in the episode.
1: (laughs) But I think... Um, this I I can mention one specifically that I know that we've read, um, me and you read it with uh, Sean from the YouTube channel Eclectic Reads. Yes, uh, that was Audition mm-hmm. by Mirakami. I think that was it was a well done story and it was a decent horror novel but the expectations versus what we what I thought going into it versus what it was were so different that it it kind of clashed a little bit but looking at it in within the context of the Japanese like just the culture and what they hold dear what the the way they interact with each other a lot of the things I think would come off as a lot more like more terrifying more more closer to home
0: yeah and I think my issue with it wasn't that it wasn't horrifying because the last quarter of the book gets you know cranked up to 10. I think we just felt that that came out of nowhere. It was just a pacing thing. Yeah. It's like is this a romantic comedy? Like oh no these last 10 pages are definitely a horror novel.
1: But at the same time I think that could also be just somewhat a norm within Japanese writing itself because I've, I've read a couple of of Japanese horror since then and I kind of had the same kind of experience with with most of them so I think it just may be a difference in the way stories are told there as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: which makes again horror translation incredibly fascinating to me because it tells so much about the people about you know the way they tell stories as well as the stories they tell
0: no but speaking of like literary a place that I have found a lot of really interesting recommendations for translated works have been the Shirley Jackson nominees every year and I Uh, I don't know if they do this on purpose where they always have a translated work, but I've found every year there's at least one. Like They had um, The Things We Lost in the Fire, and they had The Hole by Ha Young Ping, which is from Korea. And if you look back, I'm pretty sure they have a, a decent amount of translated works on there. So if you're looking for you know, fiction that is on the darker side, that is more on the horror side in translation, that's a good resource to check out.
1: Yeah. Before we started recording, you mentioned that to me about how there's always, it seems like there's always one transit at work. And that's, I never noticed that before, but that does seem pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it, I wonder if it is intentional.
0: Yeah. On this podcast, we do actually recommend a lot of books in translation and, We try not to recommend the same books to you over and over again. So I kind of just wanted to do a quick rundown of some of our favorites that we have recommended time and again in case this is your first time tuning in. But one of my favorites that people have said I talk about way too much is Let the Right One In by John Adita Lindquist, which is translated from Swedish. Were you going to say something about how I talk about it too much?
1: No, I was just going to mark it off in the bingo card I have here. Okay, that's that's
0: what I was like waiting. (laughs) Oh man, another one I really enjoyed was Battle Royale, which goes against everything I said earlier, and it is very pulpy and so much fun.
1: And arguably spawned one of the biggest YA series that um, was published in the Western world. That's getting a prequel, too. Yes. <laughs> For those unaware, uh, Battle Royale is basically the same like premise and story as what The Hunger Games became, just not YA by any means. <laughs> It is so gruesome. It is so glorious. I love Battle Royale.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, if you just want, like, a lot of people getting killed, like, a high body count and just, like a fast summer read, definitely check it out. It's huge. Like, I'm letting you know. It's a long book, but it doesn't feel long when you start reading it.
1: No, it reads really fast. And for those one away from Books in the Freezer Bingo, I will give it to you right now by talking about Junji Ito, because this is an an artist that i probably would be find a way to fit into every episode if i could um graphic novels horn translation japanese hordes he is I, I i've said it before and i'll say it again briefly he's my favorite storyteller in the genre right now in any medium um, creepy visuals really good pacing disturbing disturbing tales
0: and if you are a Patreon supporter at the $1 level, we give hints out to what our next episode is going to be a week in advance. So when we dropped that we were going to be doing this episode, we got a lot of comments and a lot of people were really excited to talk about Hex by Thomas Old. Heuvelt, Heuvelt, I'm actually not sure how to pronounce it. I think that was translated from Dutch. And I know we've mentioned it on previous episodes, but it's about a small town that has been cursed by a witch for the past couple hundred years and they're quarantined and they um, have really just learned to live with this. They have an app that tracks the witch. And speaking of translation, this was a really interesting one because a lot of things were changed when it got translated. The setting was changed to New York in the English version and I believe the ending was changed. So I actually don't know what the original ending is in the Dutch. And I did want to mention an author, but I didn't want to make her one of my picks because I didn't want the genre purists to come after me because technically she writes thrillers.
1: <laughs> so we're genre bending. Awesome. All right.
0: Well, they're very dark thrillers. Um, she gets referred to a lot as the Gillian Flynn of Japan. Uh, but that is Kane Minato. And I just want to talk about her two books, Penance and Confessions, which I love so much. Confessions was one of my favorite books last year. But... It's it's about this school teacher whose toddler has died and it just opens up with her addressing her eighth grade class and she's very calmly letting them know that she's going to take a leave and just talking about what happened to her daughter and then closes it with, I know my daughter's death wasn't an accident, it was a murder and I know who killed her and they're a student in this class. Wow. Yeah, and then it just like goes from there and it is like bonkers bananas, darkness <laughs> of just pushing the envelope. Penance, I think, is a little more subdued, but it's about these five girls who were hanging, they lived in a rural area in Japan, and one day their group of friends was hanging out outside, and they were approached by a man who said he worked in maintenance and needed help, and he took one of the girls away and took her to a place and murdered her. And they went and saw her body and it's a flash forward of basically how that affects their lives and the mom contacted each of them and says that the statute of limitations is running out they know more than they're letting on and she's like threatening them since the novel's published there actually is no longer a statute of limitations on murder in japan but at the time it was published there was but anyway she's one of my favorites but I knew she wasn't technically horror but I I just wanted to talk about her here
1: I mean I can I can understand the whole wanting to exclude thrillers from horror um but there's so many works that were put on the shelf as thriller just because it would sell better when they belong in the horror category that I kind of blend those together myself yeah and I I actually I would consider myself a genre purist but I would still I would still be okay with a dark thriller being put into a horror section easy
0: so definitely if you If anyone listening has any interest in crime thrillers with a lot of darkness, oh man, I just definitely recommend Kanae Minato. She's great. Do we know any movies that have been translated into English?
1: We mentioned a bunch of books already that have film adaptations. Yes, we have. We have mentioned Let the Right One In, Battle Royale, um, Audition. Mm -hmm. I mentioned before we started recording, a lot of the big budget horror movies that came out in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, um, when it was like a horror boom um i or sorry the eye grudge the ring all these movies they were all like american remakes of japanese ones you have Zhuan, you have ringu um those were amazing movies like the original japanese versions, of those are amazing
0: uh, there was also wreck from spain which i know the american remake was quarantine is that right yes okay and then i recently watched so get your bingo cards ready on shutter <laughs> <laughs> Ding. <laughs> Stephanie recommends something from Sh- Um, I watched a sci-fi series. It had a little bit of a horror in it, but it was called Missions and it was a French series about this group of astronauts on this trip being funded by a billionaire basically to go look at um, to go to Mars but there's some crazy stuff when they get there and they find that maybe they're not alone there. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. There were so many other movies in translation, but I just, like, have not gone around to watching them yet. <laughs> I feel like when I was looking up titles, they're all stuff that's on my to-watch list, and I felt so much shame as a horror fan. I'm like, no, I haven't watched that one yet. I haven't watched that one yet either. All right, you want to talk about some books?
1: Uh... Yeah, I guess I can do that. That's uh,
0: kind of the whole point of the podcast. But... Oh, yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, that's it.
0: So the first book I want to talk about is a book I mentioned in upcoming adaptations, but I don't think that really counts as a recommendation because it wasn't really a themed episode. But it is You Should Have Left by Daniel Kalman. This was translated from German by Ross Benjamin. And this follows a screenwriter who is spending a few days in a cabin in the mountains in Germany with his wife and young daughter. He plans to go there to work on the sequel to his very successful screenplay. And it's a movie that's made his career, but something is going on with the house. Um, I will say this will appeal a lot to fans of House of Leaves in that it's a house that just... It doesn't make sense. And it plays a lot with reality and what's real. And of course, I like it because we really get into the relationship with his wife and really examining that and passive microaggressions. You know, under, you can feel the tension with things that they say to each other, that they're not saying what they mean. But like, you definitely feel different sentiments behind that if that makes any sense yeah
1: yeah yeah, i get where you're going
0: with this um and this novel is epistolary so it's a journal that he's keeping which devon i know you enjoy i'm on board (laughs) so like the the book starts out the opening line is it is fitting that i'm beginning a new notebook up here new surroundings and new ideas a new beginning fresh air and that's how it opens up so it's just his journal of this experience of being in this remote cabin with his family. And since it is being mentioned on this episode, you can just imagine that things go wrong. I will say this is, um, if I had to rate this, I would put this book in the fridge. It's very trippy. I wouldn't say it's for everyone. Again, like I said, will appeal to fans of House of Leaves. I don't think it's quite as postmodern as House of Leaves. So if you want something that's on the trippier side, but not quite that you know, Mark Z. Danielewski style, this is a good compromise for that. And since we did mention it in our upcoming adaptations episode, there is a movie currently in the works from Blumhouse, I believe, with Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried in the titular roles, in the, uh, main roles
1: Ooh, okay you, again kevin bacon you know, my attention
0: <laughs> well and I, I think we talked about it then but he's working with the same director who did stir of echoes
1: yeah i am so looking forward to that i love stir of echoes so much
0: yeah so like i said uh fridge it's not super gruesome but it does play with a, a sense of reality i think in a way that's unnerving more unnerving than room temperature so fridge for me fridge okay so that is You Should Have Left by Daniel Kalman. And look at the cover design that I love. It's the black book with the very minimalist, triangular, like mountain design that just looks a little askew. And it just tells you everything you need to know.
1: Yeah, I, I have this one in my Ottawa library right now. It's a two hour long audiobook. I will be reading this very soon for sure. I didn't get a chance to read it before the episode, but I'm totally going to be reading this one. However, getting to one that I did read... I think.
0: <laughs> or did you dream it?
1: Wow, this is. Yeah. Um, to go back to an earlier conversation we had of reading a book and just feeling stupid, <laughs> I don't get that feeling very often. And I might have been, like I, said, I I read audiobooks and I read them um, at increased speed. I usually read like two, sometimes two and a half times. This one I had to drop it the 1.5, and I'm still kind of lost on what happened. Um, so my f- first pick is Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin. Um, It was translated by Megan McDowell. And this is probably the most perfectly titled book I have ever read. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The entire thing felt like a fever dream. To the point where I'm still not sure what what the book was about. Um, It follows a main character who's this woman who's dying in a hospital bed. And the framework of the story is that she is telling basically her life story to this other character named David, who right now, I'm still not quite sure what David was, if it was a human, if it was an I have no idea. Um, But it's this really haunting and like fairly abstract kind of tale where all these bits and pieces of her life are being told. Um, And i think i actually saw this on a review of it someone said this that the the drive to trying to figure out how these events lead to how this woman end up in her dying state in the hospital is what will compel the reader to read it um and i don't disagree um there's uh, characters involving her daughter um what i believe to be david's mother
0: yeah
1: um like i said my my apologies for being scatterbrained right now but it is very very difficult to sum this up um it definitely, definitely, definitely leans on the literary side, which is not usually my forte. It's not the kind of stuff I usually enjoy reading, Because where I'd read more for the entertainment of the experience of it. Um, something this thought-provoking was a little out of my wheelhouse, but it was enjoyable, too. Like, I feel like this is a, one of the few books that I probably would reread and get something different from it and reread again, and then get something else from it. And I feel like there's there's so many layers to this that it's going to take more than one reading to totally wrap my head around it. Um, You read this, Steph. Uh, What did you think?
0: I got to that last page, and I was like, I i am not smart enough <laughs> to know what this means so i like i i did a bunch of research into like what it meant and then i think when i learned more about that and got a little more cultural context for what the the big metaphor was it it made a little more sense i'm like okay i guess i guess i can see that beautifully written but yeah what? like the, the writing is <laughs>
1: The, the writing is great. And like I said, it, it is definitely a fairly haunting yes. piece. Um, haunting is the best, best word to use for this yeah, book. Yeah, and very
0: atmospheric. And...
1: Yeah. My only gripe with it in terms of putting it in, in on this episode is that it was absolutely room temperature. Because you're thinking about so much other stuff. There's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of, like, subtext and, like, multiple meanings to basically every line of this book. Um, and while your mind is going and wrapping your head around all that, it's very difficult to be chilled and to be to be scared. So I wouldn't say it's an overly horrifying book or scary book. Um, definitely a solid warm room temperature rating for it. Um, but it was enjoyable enough. And it is a very bleak and like it's a story that will stay with you when you're done with it yes Uh, i will give it that um but yeah definitely worth a read um maybe multiple reads it's
0: pretty small it's doable it is and this was another one that i was talking about that was nominated for the shirley jackson award
1: yeah yeah exactly um it was also shortlisted for the uh 2017 international Man Booker prize
0: so yeah quite a bit of quite a bit of acclaim yes
1: very prestigious um, so yeah, that was Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin.
0: My next pick is 20 Days of Turin by Giorgio DeMaria. This was translated from Italian by Ramon Glasoff, And this was a very recent translation uh, of an older book. So this book was originally published in
1: 1977. That's the year of Star Wars. Okay. And, and Elvis dying. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I like 1977. Place <laughs> us
0: in history, Devon. We're <laughs> no that's good um oh man it's so, yeah this was published by a, a small Italian publisher and i guess it was a, a cult classic type of book in italy but it was very recently translated it i want to say within the last three or four years and i actually won this book in a goodreads giveaway when it was translated um and i don't know that i would have uh found out about it if that hadn't been the case um but this is a book about the a town of Turin in Italy. And we are following a journalist who is going there because in this town, 10 years previously, they experienced um, the people that lived in the city experienced 20 days of collective insomnia where gruesome murders took place. Okay, So that's we get the title, obviously, 20 Days of Turin. And so you're following the journalist as he's like tracking different people down and asking them what they remember about this event that they're calling, you know, the the collective psychosis. Uh, And we get into the fact that there's an organization called The Library that's in the basement of a sanitarium. And people went there and shared private thoughts and just mundane details of their lives. And this was published in 1977, so way before the invention of social media.
1: Okay, ahead of its time. Yeah,
0: though. way ahead of its time when it comes to that. Um, and, oh man, this just it goes and goes. And it definitely, it starts out small, just as this journalist is questioning people and getting little details. And you get the just the sense of paranoia. More and more details get revealed as you keep going through the book. And it keeps getting more gruesome and... I say like like the sense of paranoia increases as you're reading the book, and it's a fairly small book. I think it's a a novella. I want to say it's like less than 150 pages, but it is very well written and just very atmospheric and haunting. Uh, But this is one where like I looked at it and it said it was you know this big metaphor for fascism, which I can see with the creeping paranoia aspect of it. But like I said, without that comment i don't know that that's a reading i would have gotten from it so this is the book i was talking about earlier where this this whole thing and this collective madness that happened was a metaphor for fascism in italy which i'm glad that that was on the back of the book because i don't know that those would have been things like i would have put together on my own just reading this story
1: it's another one of those this is a literary type thing
0: yeah or like you know i don't guess i think of i guess i wasn't thinking of like where in a history in italy where we were and i'm like i guess that makes sense yeah but i would say i'm gonna say this is also fridge because even though it is literary it does get gruesome i do feel like there is a sense of something closing in on you and paranoia, like I said, while you're reading it, that I think is very effective within a slim book like this.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair.
0: That is 20 Days of Turin by Giorgio De Maria, translated from Italian by Roman Glasov.
1: Alright, and that brings me to my second pick, which is going to be a book that I read. It was actually the first book I ever received from NetGalley. um, Two years ago, I think. Um, This is The Graveyard Apartment by Mariko Koike. I believe it was translated by Deborah Bolivar Boehm. I'm sorry if I butchered that pronunciation. So the graveyard apartment is a story of Tepe and Masao. Um, It is, they are a couple and they move into this new apartment with their daughter. Um, It's a fairly lavish apartment that they probably wouldn't be able to afford except for the building overlooks this giant graveyard. Um, So it's one of those things where it's, especially in within that culture itself it's really uh, repelling for for tenants not that it's not in the western world but more so in in japan so tepe and uh, misao are a new couple actually they are the product of an affair that tepe had with his wife who then committed suicide um and this is them moving to a new place starting over and on the surface, you're looking at what is basically a haunted house story or a haunted apartment story. The reason I picked this title is I think this is really solid kind of example of an alternative way of, of storytelling of this kind of tale. It's a really good uh, mirror for, again, Japanese culture, um, the way they approach things, the way they think, um, just like how Masao... Um, occupies her day and, and such and what what and the way that way Tepe does as well. The, the story is kind of a slow burn. however, if you're if you're observant you'll see that things happen almost immediately as soon as they move in. it just it, it gradually becomes more and more uh, pronounced. Um, there's legitimately creepy moments in the the basement of the apartment building um, Especially when it involves interactions with the supernatural uh, element and their daughter to Mao. This is not necessarily a uh, a feel-good tale. There's a lot of um, There's a, a lot of um, utility in the idea of karma um, in terms of the the plot the narrative of this the creepy parts are in are incredibly creepy. Um, the, the warm moments, the character moments are really well developed and really well done. Um, I think it's, it's a well-written piece. Um, it's actually probably one of the more colder stories that I've read recently. Um, I, I get messaged and people refer to me that I do a lot of, variations of the room temperature rating for most of my titles um but graveyard apartment actually if you really get into it i think it's closer to a fridge title than a, than a room temperature
0: Oh you're doing a fridge title
1: it's it's not in the fridge for very long okay it's still it's still trying to cool down a bit but yeah it is like the horror of it is is well done and like I said, the there's just a hint, slightest hint of the culture shock of the way they, the way they carry themselves and the way they 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 just behave and think, um, that makes it off kilter from what you know I would be used to, what I, what I would find the normal day to day thing, and because of that, like being off balance a little bit, and then facing what they face, I think it is. I think it's actually fairly, uh, fairly fairly disturbing. So yeah, I would actually say it's. A title that we put in the fridge about an hour ago, so it's kind of cooling down a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know Rachel read this um, last year mm-hmm. as well. We, me and her talked about it, and she was kind of on the average side in terms of an opinion on it. Um, so was I at the time. Uh, but rereading it again for this episode, I've, I really found a lot more to it than I did before. So that was the graveyard apartment by Mariko Koike.
0: My next pick is Body by Asa Nonami. this was translated from the Japanese. Uh, this is a short story collection It has five stories all titled after body parts. So it's navel, buttocks, blood, whorl, and jaw. And each story follows characters battling different things but all centering around that specific body part but you know, it being a bigger theme, whether it's vanity, you know, what is masculinity, societal standards, obsession. Um, and I would say contrary to what the title leads you to believe, I would not say any of this is necessarily body horror. I would say these are a lot more on the psychological side. So just letting you all know. Um, uh, a lot of I feel like I say I do the Twilight Zone as a comp a lot, but I do feel like a lot of these play in that speculative field with a lot of, you know, last minute twist ending type of thing. That is the kind of stories you are getting.
1: Well, that's the norm, I guess, for that kind of story. Yeah. You know? And it, it works. Yes.
0: Like. I I found these very enjoyable. So, like I said, these are slower and a little more focused on the character relationship with the body part, which I thought was a really interesting premise to work with. So, like the story, navel starts with a young girl who has a desire to get her navel changed, and like this is a world where uh, there's rampant plastic surgery, even amount even around young girls so much that the latest trend is getting your navel into a different shape. And it's about a young girl who becomes obsessed with it and like a snowball effect from that that I will not rob you of. So you need to read it. (laughs) Um, Blood, I think, follows a family who has a son that has this need to prick people and taste their blood. Uh, Buttocks deals with peer pressure and bullying and body image. Whirl, um, I think is in reference to like a whirl on your head, was not a term I had ever heard before. (laughs) Is that what you call it? What term? A whirl. W H O R L. That's the name of the the chapter. But I guess it's like a cowlick. Like give it a whirl? But it's with an O, I feel like, in the book. Not like give it a whirl, it's like a Whirl. Anyway, the point is it's about hair. And it's about a man who takes part in a clinical trial to increase hair growth. And it's uh a lot more about his relationship with his girlfriend and basically his relationship to his hair and masculinity and uh, Jaw, just about a young man taking boxing lessons.
1: Whirl, a pattern of spirals or concentric circles.
0: <laughs> don't tell <Jinji> Ito. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I, I gave a whole lot away with any of those stories. I think you can still read them and get a good. Yeah, I'm like I always. It's all I feel like that's a a tough line to balance in this in this type of podcast. We're like I want to tell you enough to get excited, but not too much to like rob you of any enjoyment of discovery while reading it. Um, and a lot of things are cultural but i don't feel in a way that was a hindrance to me to understand as an american reader okay all right that's fair so anyway um if you look for it it's body but it has the stylistic slashed o like 21 pilots has you know like the o's with like the diagonal slashes through it that's what it looks like it's a black cover with a white design and body I will say these are room temperature. Okay.
1: So more thought provoking than scary.
0: Yes. A lot more thought-provoking. So I'm saying if you're reading this thinking it's gonna be body horror. I'm letting you right now. It is not, you know, set your expectations where they should be.
1: Why would you expect the horror novel called Body to be a body horror novel? Exactly. That's why
0: I'm letting you know, guys. Like, (laughs) (laughs) don't be thinking like this is the Clive Barker of Japan. Yeah, I think expectations are very important because there's so many times like I come into a book with certain expectations and sometimes I let my disappointment that it didn't meet exactly what I was looking for deter like how i rate something and i try not to do that but you know it's gonna happen
1: yeah but you can't really help that that's 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 a natural part of the process
0: yeah so i'm just letting you know guys psychological horror so that is body by asa nonami go read it
1: all right and how about some chilling obsessions
0: uh ooh, chilling obsessions i have two since we were gone last ooh, ooh, week
1: ooh. is one on shutter
0: <laughs> no actually I mentioned Shutter earlier, so they already got their bingo point.
1: Okay, yes, yeah, right. That's, uh, we covered it. We're good. All right, go ahead.
0: So, with my two chilling obsessions, um, my first one is per- the Perfection on Netflix, which came out recently, starring Allison Williams and Logan Browning. And I'm doing two because basically, I'm going to suggest the Perfection, but I'm not going to tell you anything about it, other than uh, it's not for everyone, and it is bananas. But I feel like I just can't tell you anything. The, the whole movie is just the joy of discovery and you have to go watch it. Um there's cellos and love and it goes <laughs> goes places. All right. That sounds sounds fun. <laughs> just cellos and love. Um so instead, uh and so my second chilling obsession is a podcast called The Horror Virgin. And I do love movie podcasts, but The premise behind this one is that it's a group of friends, and their one friend hates horror movies because he finds them scary. And so every week, they sit down and force him to watch scary movies. And if you follow their Instagram account, they will record him before big scares happen. and post it on instagram
1: wow that's so cruel
0: (laughs) and he agrees and sometimes they'll show him they'll record i think for patreon or um i think on instagram they also record him watching the trailers of the movie they're gonna do next week and him just having just a look of dread on his face that's awesome (laughs) yeah so it's a lot of fun because of that because i think most of the people So I think the majority of them, you know, this is their second or third viewing and they're sharing this with their friend. And it's just funny because every episode he's like, I hated it. (laughs) Not because it was bad, but because he was scared of it. Well, they started with The Exorcist, though. Ooh, Yeah, that was one. And then I think their third episode, they went to go see Hereditary, which just really messed him up and then at the end of the episode they do like a scariness rating but they do it on a scale from ghostbusters to texas chainsaw massacre
1: all right hold on while you're talking i'm running over to stitcher and save episode okay i'm gonna to listen to that later
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really funny because i also wish i could do that to my friends that don't like horror so i, I get that out of my system with this i guess <laughs>
1: That's hilarious.
0: You don't have a friend like that where you're like, come on, sure, it'll be fine. Just, just watch it.
1: <laughs> I do. Well, I used to. Um, back when I started, well, when I first finished my journalism program, I started uh, a blog with a friend that we were going to do like reviews and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, one of my th- things I was going to do was horror movies. And Insidious was a... <laughs> And I couldn't find anybody really, to go with, so I ended up taking my friend, who doesn't watch a lot of horror movies anymore, and after going to see Insidious in a theater, she just won't trust me to pick a movie (laughs) anymore. (laughs) She's like, no, if we ever see a movie, I am picking the movie, not you. I'm like, oh. Oh, man.
0: That happened with my friend. But I think she was like a third wheel on a date, and they went to go see Sinister. I know, I'm like, that's a rough one. like that that one that one messed me up
1: (laughs) that was a well done movie yes it was i saw that twice back to back
0: oh man i saw it like hunched over my laptop with like headphones in my dorm room that was (laughs) that was rough
1: (laughs) i went to the theater with my friend who does like horror movies and then when we left i ran into a friend who was going to see it as we were leaving so like you know what i want to go see it again
0: oh you you literally saw it back to back (laughs)
1: literally back to back showings oh wow it was awesome i love
0: it about you what's your chilling obsession
1: uh My Chilling Obsession is going to be a little retro. um, Well, specifically retro. It's actually a PlayStation 1 video game. Um, It is a game series now, but I'm going to talk about the first one, which is Parasite Eve. Um, It really, I think, fits well with Books in the Freezer because Parasite Eve is actually based upon, well, it's a sequel to a Japanese horror novel of the same name. The, the way the premise works is you control a character and what's happening is people are randomly dying from spontaneous human combustion. And there is this woman, this crazy looking woman who's at the center of it, who's kind of orchestrating it all. Um, it goes into a lot of real speculative, like science fiction as well. Um, it's manipulation of like the mitochondria within the human body and such like this. But, um the atmosphere, the visuals, the tension on it, it's just amazing. It's it came out around the same time as Resident Evil, um, as a game series. So I think this one gets a little more overlooked because it didn't go on as long. It didn't go on the same amount of prestige. But it's just creepy as, as hell. Like Eve is the antagonist. Just dealing with her the way the way she behaves and just the way she carries herself and being able to have people just explode just out of thin air um it's a horrifying horrifying experience um that i don't think got enough love uh it's kind of coming back a little bit now in the retro community for gaming um i see a lot more streamers actually playing this um for for retro streams and i haven't read the novel yet but i'm definitely looking forward to doing that as well i always thought the uh, game was based on the novel but apparently the game is a sequel to the novel so the novel comes first so
0: interesting
1: for the readers out there which i'm assuming you are if you're listening to the podcast this is another uh i guess translated work i can recommend it's
0: like what a weird podcast if you're not but
1: (laughs) (laughs) um the name of the novel is parasite eve and it was written by Hideaki sina and then yeah that leads into the video game series which i believe there's three of them Over the PlayStation One and Two, but yeah, great games, underappreciated, and that's my chilling obsession right now because that's what I'm going to do when I finish recording: is boot up Parasite Eve and and go through it again.
0: Ooh, we have some new reviews on Apple Podcasts! Yay, yay! And thank you so much, guys. We hit a hundred reviews, so I just want to take this time to thank you for taking the time out of your day to go in there and writing, even that one sentence review means a lot to us.
1: And at this point in time, before Steph reads the review, I would also like to thank any of the new listeners that came in recently. Um, we did take a week off because of some extenuating circumstances, but it doesn't appear as though it's hurt the engagement level from everybody. It seemed, Everyone seems pretty... Pretty active and still around. And thank you for that. And we promise it will not happen again unless something else really bad happens.
0: Yeah, we're working better on having more (laughs) of a contingency plan for that because things are going to happen. So, yeah, thank you so much, guys, for being patient and sticking around. So, yes, thank you for being great understanding listeners. Uh, So, yeah, I wanted to read two reviews that were posted on Apple Podcasts. The first one is a five-star review from Desert Rose 601 who says, I just discovered this great podcast and have been binging episodes all weekend. The deliciously spooky theme song is stuck in my head now, lol. I love all the horror recommendations. I'm fairly new to the genre actually, so I'm loving becoming more familiar with the authors and books in this style. In fact, I've already started reading a recommendation I got from the podcast, Fledgling by Octavia Butler. So far, it's very good. My TBR list is growing with every episode I listen to. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Also, yeah that's a good book <laughs> very interesting take on vampire lore
1: Fledging, yeah. yes
0: um the next one says best horror book podcast five stars thank you been a listener since the beginning and have enjoyed the podcast a ton great discussions and some amazing recommendations that i've got from the podcast would definitely recommend anybody who is a fan of horror literature to check out this podcast from richard reeds and thank you so much thanks richard makes this feel all warm and gooey inside
1: it, it, it really does <laughs> i actually feel the goo right now. <laughs> i'm feeling the goo
0: oh man okay oh, yeah. some housekeeping uh so currently for the book club we are reading devon's pick this month Yay. which is
1: yeah my pick this month is by the acclaimed british author uh adam neville no one gets out alive um a fairly large book that i wasn't aware of at first but i'm enjoying it so far and our live show is coming up very soon How do you, what are you thinking, Steph?
0: I have the audiobook in my Audible library, (laughs) and I will be starting it very soon. (laughs) I mean, I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I've actually only just recently, I'm like less than 10% into it yet
0: i've been looking at the the comments in the goodreads group and everyone's talking about the protagonist stephanie but it still is a little like confusing when i read them so i'm like what what did i do also
1: this coming sunday actually uh for our patrons uh we will be having our monthly live show where we all get together and talk about the book from cover to cover spoilers galore how we felt what we liked, what we didn't um yeah. So if you want to get in on that, all you got to do is be a $3 or above uh, patron. And. You can come and hang out with us there. You don't need to be a patron in order to take part of the uh, Books in a Freezer Book Club because as Stephanie alluded to earlier, uh, we do have the Goodreads discussion group set up. So everybody is over there. We're already talking about it. Stephanie has um, already separated the book into chunks where you can talk about um, the part that you're reading um, with other listeners, with myself and Stephanie. Um, And yeah, it's just a fun time over there. So that is absolutely no no patron required for that and yeah um coming over and join us have a talk and in the meantime uh we have our treat for next month's book club pick which steph will tell you about
0: so our next month's pick is going to be the patreon pick so this is for our five dollar and up supporters we give a list of options and in the voxer boot yeah and in the uh patreon voxer group we were kicking around ideas and i think we all decided we wanted to do novellas (laughs) since no one gets out alive is a little on the long side (laughs) we wanted to give our listeners a bit of a break and there were some author favorites that were suggested so we currently have a poll up for our malevolent spirit patrons to vote on and we will let you know what they decide on for next month
1: yep it'll be put on books in the freezer twitter
0: and our instagram and facebook and goodreads and goodreads yeah it'll be on goodreads right away once i once the poll ends i'll put it right up um yes and if you wanted to keep up with what rachel and i are doing we are actually working on something together with a few other horror book youtubers which is the bloody beach read along which will be taking place july and august and Basically, if you want to read with us, we are going to be reading Kill River by Cameron Rubik and I Call Upon Thee by Anya Alborn in July. And then in August, we are going to be reading Kill River 2 by Cameron Rubik and Something Borrowed, Something Blood Soaked by Krista Carmen. And so it's basically a read along of those four books over two months. So if you wanted to read those along with us, definitely check them out i know rachel and i did announcement videos on youtube for that
1: and you can find those and that's what she read on youtube as well as the shades of orange
0: <laughs> and yeah like i said we're, it's a group effort like uh, jason from jason's weird reads and cammy from cammy's book corner and carla from carla's book bits are all hosting it as well also if you were a fan of almakatsu's the hunger She has a new book coming out called The Deep, and I recently did a cover reveal for her new book on my YouTube channel if you wanted to check that out. I think I will also have a write-up in the Books in the Freezer website. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer or on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. You can email us at books in the freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at books in the I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at that's what she read, but that's with two A's or just on YouTube as that's what she read.
1: And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at InsomniReads, Or you can find me streaming horror games on Twitch um, by looking up
0: Indie Insomniac. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer.